Welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. Thanks for connecting with us. To discover more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz. May this message be an encouragement to you. Today, um, as Joe said, we conclude our series in which we have been looking at what it means to be the people that bear God's name. How should such people live? How should we live? What does it mean to rightly represent God to our world? Job began by unpacking the idea that we as individuals and we are the church are God's sugala, his chosen generation commissioned to bear and carry his name in an other way, in a holy way, that people see us and see our lives and ask, who is the God that they serve? And we based this and we looked at the couple of the Ten Commandments, the laws given by God to the Israelites once they had been freed from Egypt, and how these were used as the framework of how we are to live in order to fulfill our mission as covenant partners to live out that identity of representing Yahweh to the world. After Launching the series in week one, Joe continued by looking at what it means to wholly bear God's name in our work. Last week, Megan looked at bearing God's name in our rest. And today I am concluding this series by bearing, or by looking at the subject of bearing God's name in our homes and in our families. And one of the things that I have been trying to work out this last week in regard to this series Am I a rose amongst the thorns, or am I thorn amongst the rose? Because when it's Dawn and I, we know that we're two roses. But there's been a little bit confusing around this one. Since being asked to do this, I have to confess that I have been somewhat intrigued in how to approach this in the time that we have. I've not been anxious about it, because it is such a great subject to speak on. But it would be fair to say that it has weighed heavily on me as how to approach it, and primarily for three reasons. Firstly, because when you address the issue of home or families, whilst there are many of us, and most of us are living in those situations, living in families, there are those that perhaps currently aren't then there can come the very real temptation to switch off and say, perhaps this isn't really necessary for me to really buy into this or to listen. And if there's anyone who finds themselves in this situation today, please can I ask you to resist this, for someday we may find ourselves in a different set of circumstances to which some of what we look at today may well be relevant, helpful, and transformational. But saying this, most of us, if not all of us, play influential, formative roles in the lives of others, maybe more than we realize. The auntie, the uncle, or adopted auntie or uncle, best friend, family friend, neighbor, which often God will use to bring his kingdom purpose into situations. I believe that we all impact homes and families perhaps more than we we realize. And secondly, next, when... Whenever we unpack the issue of home or family and inevitably touch upon marriage, these can be sensitive issues. There can be the very natural desire to become somewhat defensive as, as to where we see ourselves at or how we think our homes and our families are perceived 
and are doing. And often we are concerned how other people perceive us as a family. And um, sometimes the challenge of perceived scrutiny can make us weary around such subjects. Please let this not be the case for us here today. None of what is said or highlighted by myself is based on one specific set of circumstances, but is based on scripture and patterns observed and coming out of the great privilege of being involved in and invited into the lives of many people over way too many years. And then this leads me to the final, the primary reason for a sense of weightiness around this subject. And it is because whenever one throughout the course of a message like this, references one's own experience or the way we did things or lessons we learnt as a family, it can be perceived as, well, we perhaps knew what we were doing, which in truth was far from reality. Please let it be heard that as a family, we often didn't get it right, often didn't get it spot on. And that as a family, we are as broken as the next. For very often, what we have learnt, we stumbled into, or more often than not, have learnt by getting things wrong, and then have learnt things from hindsight. But despite this brokenness, hopefully something of what we have learned in our brokenness, and from the brokenness of others around us, and what we have discovered about the unbelievable grace of God that is poured out into such situations by a kind and gracious and loving God will will enable us to learn something about bearing his name in our home and in our families. To bear God's name, to be wholly his in our home, to rightly represent him in our home, in our families, is for me, in my personal opinion, the toughest of all calls, the most demanding of all assignments. This is for many reasons, but above all, because to represent God in the home is constant. It requires consistency, and it is relentless. It is 24-7, it is 365 days a year, leaving us ultimately with no place to hide. You don't get a day off. And whilst it is a wonderful privilege, it is also a huge responsibility. And to begin with, I'd like to take a step back, if I may. For me, one of the crucial aspects of this message, and probably for this whole series, pivots around this one crucial, fundamental truth. Is Jesus truly real to us? A strange question to ask people, you may rightly say, who are already in church. Recently, I have been intrigued by the writings and thoughts of Andy Stanley around the idea of being a Christian, and in which, quite provocatively, he says that for most of us in the Western world, in the 21st century, apart from the occasion, the odd occasion, it isn't too difficult. And he adds poignantly and powerfully that Jesus never called us to simply be Christians, but he calls us to be followers of Christ, which is something far more demanding and challenging. He pursues a similar thought to what we are looking at in this series about us being followers of Christ in absolutely everything that we do. So... Let's go back. So for the children of Israel, 
in Exodus, which Joe unpacked for us, the issue was, is Yahweh truly who he said he was? And he reveals himself. And we see from history that he proves himself to be the true God, whilst sadly very often the people who were called to follow him didn't choose him in the way that they should have on all occasions. Very often they just went away from him completely. For us today, this has developed further through the revelation of what we read and now know of in the New Testament. So, is Jesus who he and the scriptures tells us he is? And if he is, surely, if Jesus is who Jesus says he is, everything else in life truly pales into insignificance. Therefore, if he is the second member of the triune creator God who left his throne, who took upon himself the form of man, who was born of a virgin, lived a spotless and perfect life, and yet was tempted in all ways like we are, then this is the biggest game changer for all eternity, bar none. If this is so, then it requires, and if I can say it, demands more than my nodding acknowledgement and my spare time or time that I have available or left over after that I want to do for myself or for my family or my household. If he is both God and man who walked on earth, healed the sick, went to the cross, died and rose again, who was seen by many and ascended into heaven. And if he is, having done all this whilst coming to earth once, surely he will find it really easy to come again a second time, like he says he will. So if this is all true, then really he demands more than my attention. He demands my soul, my life, my all. So let's run with this thought for a few more seconds. If he is the one who has done the impossible time and time again and continues to work in our lives today, is the inspiration and the author and the incarnation of the book that has transformed lives of millions of people for nearly 2,000 years and has been on the bestseller list since the beginning of time. If he is the one who fed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes, who can walk on water, turn water into wine with no special effects or camera tricks. If he is the one who is hailed King of Kings, the ruler of the universe, the Alpha and the Omega, the bright and morning star, the beginning and the end, then he truly demands my whole, our whole, every day. One says all this not to simply state inspirational and motivational truth over our lives, but because it is my firm belief as a follower of Christ for, man, it's over 50 years now, that, and from attempting to raise a family his way and now seeing our children attempt to do the same with their children, one thing I know is this. If we fail to commit ourselves wholly to him and his way of doing things in our homes and in our families, then the stresses and challenges we face today are going to be so overwhelming and far more challenging than we will ever be able to cope with. Put another way, we have no other person or place to go other than to him and to be wholly his. I love the way that only C.S. Lewis can say it. He says, Christianity 
if false, is of no importance, but if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. So, as we unpack carrying God in our homes, I'd like to begin by looking at the importance of the culture of our homes and families as we look to rightly represent God. Shaping the culture of our home is hard work. It is ongoing, it's an ongoing process that demands careful thinking and constant atten attention and intentionality. Often we don't recognize the impact of our decisions on our home culture until after we have made them or we see some time has passed. Every family, every home has a culture. Culture is, according to Craig Grishel, what you intentionally create or what you allow. What you intentionally create or what you allow. Most families have allowed family culture, have an allowed family culture. I probably think that many families aren't intentional about their culture. And the most cultures of our families are hectic, crazy, overwhelming, media-centric, cluttered, and not that exciting and enjoyable. It's why dad often chooses to work hard and too long, or hide in their phones, or hit the gym, so much so, and mum feels burdened with decision fatigue. Whilst pe preparing for today, <clears throat> Don reminded me of a saying of a quote from Jack Hayford, who was our foremost ment mentor. In speaking to dads, he said that when you are on your way home from work and thinking that your day is finished, actually, actually, this isn't true with families. For when you get home, the real work of your day is about to start as we engage with our family with our wife and with the mother of our children and our children themselves. And we need to give it our full attention and engagement when perhaps we'd like to do nothing and think that our day has come to an end. It's powerful words. Family culture, the culture of our, of our home can be beautiful or it can be ugly. But it's only beautiful when we create with intention. A biblical family culture will be the combination of two things. Our individual family personality, i.e. our interests, our priorities, our ethnic culture, our location, and coupled with a biblical ethic. And these need to be equal and worked through. All Christian families will unite around the latter, i.e. the biblical ethic, but they will be delightfully diverse in their family because we are all uh, delight, uh, delightfully diverse in the former because we are all different. You'll see Christian families who play sport, have a shared love of music, and finish most weeks with a movie night, whilst other families love to hike, bike, and surf and camp, and so on. Good family culture is a combination of intentional discipleship and their individual, individual passions. To further flesh out a biblical family cult culture, I'll define it this way. A biblical family culture is when the customs, the social engagements and achievements are of a family are centered in Christian ethical beliefs and priorities. How you do families, how you do holidays, schools, sports, books, and media will be filtered through a scriptural truth. And that is how we set a good family culture. 
Of course, a parent or mum and dad, or if they're parenting alone, mum or dad, will bring their own interests and habits to the family. But it only works well when we are willing to check our assumptions, our beliefs, our habits, what we do, what we allow against the word of God, and then being teachable and willing to change. This is perhaps the greatest signature quality of a biblical family culture. Willingness to flex and change as we are convicted by the word or prompted by the Holy Spirit. And it means certain, it may mean that certain media is no longer accomplishing our priorities for the family. So we need to remove it from our usage. If we sense that our family is stretched too thin with commitments, we need to cut back and we need to prioritize Sabbath and time together. If we can tell that we haven't prioritized eating family meals together with TV off and, we're, and everyone is encouraged to share, then we cut back on whatever is taking priority over these life-giving occasions. Biblical family culture isn't, logis- isn't legalistic or rigid. It flexes and changes with the, s- the seasons and the ages of our children. But it is always Christ first. For those of us who are, for those who are single for whatever reason, creating a biblical culture, carrying God in our homes, applies to us too. The principles of pursuing daily rhythms, of shared prayer with flatmates when appropriate, sharing life together, breaking bread with friends and studying scripture can be implemented and transformational. If you're married and yet to have children, creating these rhythms now will be a fantastic model for when you have children of your own, whether they be biological, adoptive, or foster. None of us have it all worked out, but by God's grace, we can all seek to create and maintain an atmosphere of human flourishing where the sense of God is present, it's palpable with joy, is pursued, and we honor God in our culture. That's the foundation for how we start to bear God's name in our homes and in our families in an other way, that we have an intentional culture, that we know what we do, why we do it, and when we do it, and it just does not happen by default. So as we look to build on the foundation of a good biblical family culture, I'd like us to look at some practical examples how I believe we bear God's name in our homes and in our families in tangible ways. First of all, and obviously it's going to be our starting point, it's to esteem the Bible. It says in Matthew 4, 4, but he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. When we are experiencing turmoil in our families, The temptation can be to run to parenting websites and pop psychology, or perhaps friends that are at the same age and stage as our family. And of course, these can be helpful and mustn't be dismissed. But what does the Bible say? It needs to be clearly it needs to be clearly evident to all in our families that the Bible is the ultimate authority in our homes. 
Timothy tells us all Scripture is inspired by God and is, in, is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that the person of God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. As we form the basic principles of, for our family, all of our beliefs and ethics and rules must be rooted in and flow out of his words. Our methods of family engagement, of grace, of discipline, our stances on cultural controversies, and our view of humanity have to be centered around God's redemptive narrative. We fit into that. We don't just say that God sometimes fits into our family. Our children need to know that truth is unchanging, secure, and pure. That truth doesn't come from Facebook, from popular opinion, or even past family tradition, because that's the way we've always done it, but from the Word of God. By referring ourselves and our children back to the Bible in everything we do, esteeming it, applying it, we show that it is sufficient to answer the deepest questions of life. It was in our childhood home, in our family unit, perhaps not through the revelation of Scripture, that Hope and I, as we were growing up, learned to honor our parents. It was where we learned <coughs> to tithe, to mention just a couple of examples. Because our parents esteemed the Word of God. Many of you kindly say that we have a great relationship with both our children and our family, and we do, and it's incredibly humbling. I can't probably tell you the why or the whole why behind this, but I do know that in part, it was because we honored our parents all the days of their life until all but one of them have passed away and gone into eternity. Let me say this. If your kids hear and see you dishonoring your parents, don't be surprised if you reap what you sow. And of course, we know that honoring and agreeing isn't the same thing. We esteem Scripture by being quick to do what it says. In addition to what we've already mentioned, let us be quick to say sorry and ask to be forgiven. Be quick to forgive others and not to keep a record of offenses. Another example of this is seen and worked out in one of the most significant encounters that we have in our faith, and this is through attendance at church. So if we are not attending church regularly as a person or as a family, what does it say that we put, what value do we put on Scripture? Do we schedule church last on our list of the things we do for the weekend? Let's wait and see what the weather is like when we wake up and just fitting in church when it suits is simply not nearly enough. We carry God. It's about carrying Him. This sends a message that church is just a, a nuisance sometimes, but we'll go when we can. Make church attendance a scheduled priority and do your absolute best to get the family there on time. Sport, weekend chores, and other things can wait. Going to church was a non-negotiable for our kids, and they will tell you that. <clears throat> but they are both in church. Secondly, make joy and gratitude priorities in our home. It is important to realize that we carry, that we bear the name of God in our home 
through having an, an approach or an attitude of joy and gratitude and thankfulness. The importance of our homes being full of these things is immeasurable. Every day we have the choice to choose joy and thankfulness or not. We do need to understand perhaps afresh that joy and happiness are not necessarily the same thing. Happiness is the result of stuff that happens to us and sometimes what happens to us is not good. It isn't good, but it doesn't have to rob us of our joy. I'd like to suggest that it is far better that our homes and our families and our children are places and people of joy rather than simply making them happy. Joy has deeper roots. Every marriage and every family will experience trials and temptations of various kinds. And sometimes we, we won't win the race. We will lose. We won't get on the team. And we won't get the job that we wanted. And we need to move on. And sometimes just get over it. That's not being one who is being cold and callous, but there is something else to learn. And it is this that there is absolutely no circumstance that can rob us, if our joy, or rob us of our joy if we know that the key to our present welfare and our future destiny lies in Christ alone and not just simply our happiness. The presence of a deep-rooted joy transforms our lives and our families. Again, C.S. Lewis says it like this, joy is the serious business of heaven, gratitude and thankfulness. Uh, an American writer says this, gratitude is not simply an emotional response. It is also a choice we make. We can choose to be grateful or we can choose to be ungrateful, to take our gifts and blessings for granted. As a choice, gratitude is an attitude or a disposition. I believe if we're not careful, gratitude and thankfulness can start to slip out of our life and those around us will notice something different. Just simple thankfulness can slide and we can become ungrateful. We can become ungrateful before we know it. Not so much stepping over into the sin of complaining, but we're not also not quite being so thankful as we perhaps once were or perhaps we should be. And this is not a good place to be. I love it that the Bible says, be thankful in all circumstances, in all things. It's how we enter his presence with praise in our hearts and on our lips. Something dynamic happens when we lean into thankfulness and gratitude. I want us to encourage us to be a people that thank him for thankfulness. It opens things. We never want to lose this aspect of truth and attitude from our toolkit and from our everyday life. This may sound a little bit weird, and you won't be surprised, but you know the parable that is most impacting my life at this moment in time? And you think, well, what's that gonna be? Or could it be this or that, or this or that? Or the, the parable that is most impacting my life and has done for the last, I'm gonna say, two years, and I hope it continues to do, is the parable of the 10 lepers that Jesus touched and healed. And do you know why it was? Because nine went away and didn't say thank you, but one came back and said, thank you for healing me. Nine lost something, they let it slip. But it was so important 
to Jesus that in this parable, he tells us, you know, one came back and said thank you. And that's how I want to live my life. As soon as we start getting ungrateful, it's not a safe place to be. We may think we are going through a difficult season and we don't know why, no apparent reason, or that the grace of God may be sort of lifted off us during a season or he's taking us through a season of life. But maybe, just maybe, we helped create it because we dug our own hole by not being thankful. I believe thankfulness and gratitude just keeps the presence of God, keeps heaven close to us. This happened about 10 days ago. Um, I was on my way back from Europe and Hope had gone over to see her, her mum for a week and came back then this week. And you know, we in a very blessed position. We got family in the UK, we got family here, we got two grandsons um, in the UK and we got one grandson here. I've got a new exercise regime, it's called Chasing My Grandsons. I'm going to be the fittest ref that's over 60, I tell you, for the next 10 years. But um, I, was sitting, I was sitting on the plane and I was just, and I, I didn't feel God tell me off. I was just having a chat with him about it. And I was just thinking, oh, no, we're not going to see my two grandsons uh, in the UK. And probably until May next year. And we're just coupled with being excited about coming back to see our grandson here. And I just felt, I just felt God put this on my heart. And this is what he said to me. And he says, these next, this next season of being away from your two grandsons will go depending on whether you approach it through gratitude or not. Whether you concentrate on what you have rather than what you don't have. Rather you concentrate on the great times you've had with them or how much you miss them. And I just thought he gave me that choice. You can spend these next eight months to thoroughly enjoy your grandson that you'll see most, most days. And you can con concentrate and remember the wonderful times that you have and how blessed and fortunate, and shouldn't use this word, but lucky you are that you have two grandsons away from you that are healthy and love you. And I just felt God said, if you take an attitude of gratitude, this is going to be a good eight months. It's going to go really well. It, it'll be difficult but there was a choice for me to make. Thirdly, confront the issues. Probably most of us know that in the plans and purpose of God, that on encountering life-changing power of the gospel, God's desire is not just to leave us in that state, but, he, but to begin the process of transforming us into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ, this walk of holiness, to begin a work of holiness in us all. And I believe that one, if not the best place to see this happen is in the home. Somewhere that should be safe and where we are loved and accepted and God is there. But so often this isn't the case. And instead of our homes being a crucible of growth and increasing and in learning and development, it can become a place where things that are not acceptable to God or just humankind in general are ignored and are let slip, often for a quiet life. I believe that one of the ways that we carry God in our homes is when we are open <clears throat> and though maybe reluctantly willing, but nevertheless willing to confront the issues of character and life that need to be confronted in our own homes and in the lives of those around us. 
that we partner with him in being transformed into the likeness of his son, where we create an environment where our husband, our wife, our peers can speak to us, but also we as parents do what parents are called to do. Parents, we are primarily called the parent and not to be our child's friend initially. Friendship will come. What you permit, you promote. What you allow, you encourage. What you condone, you own. What you tolerate, you deserve. Many of you will have heard this, but regardless of who said it, it carries with it real truth. Mums and dads, caregivers, we create, as I said, the culture of our homes and the wrong behaviors we permit or allow is not doing those whom we love any good at all in the short term or in the long term. Some of the examples that we need to challenge in our children and even if we're brave enough, even in our spouse, attitude. I was raised in a family that if you rolled your eyes to your parents, it was seen as answering back. And you never did. You never did that. So I, from your response, there's a lot of us. You rolled your eyes, and I was in more trouble than if I answered back. It should be the same for our children. So often we get caught up, and we, we got caught, get caught up with their actions. They play, they make mistakes, they do all these things, they push. And we leave attitude go. Attitude is so important to deal with. You know, one of the things that we had in our family, we did not allow control by mood. Needs to be dealt with quickly and firmly. We did not allow our kids to be moody. If one of them at a young age was going to be moody, everything stopped. Okay, we're not doing anything. We're going to pull over. We're not going to have food until you get out of being in a bad mood and we had to deal with it. Sometimes we went really hungry. <laughs> but it wasn't an option for them. I often speak about this at weddings. Control by mood has no place anywhere, let alone in marriage. It's an issue to deal with in the home. Other things, passive aggressiveness, laziness, disrespect, dads, Challenge your boys over misogyny or sexism. It's your job to do it. Don't let it slide. It doesn't mean that our homes become confrontational all the time, but they're places of love and an environment. Hey, we don't do this for this reason. We don't do this for this reason. Here's the context. Here's the why behind it. Because we want to reflect and carry God with us. And he's not a lazy God. He's not a nasty God. He's a forgiving God. He's not a grumpy God. Because so often, kids will make God in the image of what they've seen in their home. It's important that we bear God. <laughs> Fourthly and lastly, make our home and our families safe places. There is nothing that we do that reflects us as people of God who carry God as being the gatekeepers of our homes. And I believe that we have an authority from God to deny entrance into that space that, to anything that is not of him. You know, Jesus talks about being the good shepherd, how the good shepherd protects and looks after and feeds and protects and looks after his sheep. 
You know, we probably know what a gatekeeper is anyway. A gatekeeper is someone who guards an entrance, who monitors, who oversees the actions of others. A watch person sees, hears, looks, and listens in order to protect something or someone. And it's a fascinating Bible study if you want to go and do that sometime. John Bunyan, John Bunyan illustrates the need for a spiritual gatekeeper in his book, The Holy War. In in this allegory, Bunyan likens humanity to a city. And I put it on here. This This was in the 17th century, and this is an updated English version, but it's I wanted you to see it as I read it. He says, This famous town of Mansoul has five gates, in at which to come, out of which to go, and these were impregnable, and as such could never be opened nor forced, but by the will and leave of those within. The names of the gates were these, ear gate, eye gate, mouth gate, nose gate, and feel gate. In other words, the five senses of the gates by which the human soul interacts with the world through the physical body. These gates must be guarded. And in Bunyan's allegory, he says, Mr. Godly Fear is just the man to do it. Godly Fear was a trustworthy man of courage, conduct, and valor. And the enemy attacked man's soul in vain, vain, as long as God Fear was the gatekeeper. Amazing. Written in the 17th century. Obviously, John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress as well. As the gatekeepers of our homes and our families, we are not only responsible for our own heart, but we are responsible for the hearts of our children as well and those who live with us. We can and should help our children make decisions about their entertainment and their friends. We didn't allow TV in our kitchen, because that's where we had meals and our family times, and we didn't allow TV in the bedroom. That was a choice that we made. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The devil is constantly, continually seeking entrance into our heart. Daily we must cleanse our hearts and get rid of all the sewage that he has tried to get into our system. And without developing paranoia, but being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, everyone who comes into our home or into our house comes through us, came through us. And it's called discernment. This may be right for you, but we didn't allow our children to go to sleepovers with their school friends. However well we may have known them and their parents, we didn't know them well enough to hand over our children to them even for a night. That was our choice. You don't have to do that at all. If your child or any member of your household is brave enough to raise a concern, a feeling, an unexplainable check in the spirit about someone, then we should listen. We should seek it out. We should investigate it. I'd go as far as to say that sometimes in order to gatekeep our children in our home, some of of their school colleagues and some of their friends and even family friends, apart from when it is absolutely necessary, should not have access to our child's life and home and by default their safe place. We are the gatekeepers. It's not the child's responsibility to protect themselves. It is ours and it is totally fine to say no to some people and it is okay not to feel bad about saying no. Every Netflix show, iPad app, Every YouTube video, 
And as already stated, even friends that enter our homes must go through us as gatekeepers first. What are we allowing in? We have a responsibility to protect our homes, our flatmates, our children from the enemy's attempts to access heart and minds. You know, those of us who go to the gym, you know, sometimes we need to stop and listen to the music and the word that is often playing in the background. Sometimes we just go to the gym, this is what we do. You get down, you knuckle down, and you, you mean, hopefully do 30 minutes or whatever you do. Sometimes you need to stop and listen to the music that's actually been played in the background and what the words they are saying. And I think you would be unpleasantly surprised very, very often. Most of our culture today has no place in our homes. The violent and perverse lyrics of popular music, the increasing prevalence of nudity on TV, and the acceptance of modern wokeness, just to name a few. These are not influences we want in our homes, so we make repelling such influences a priority in how we react to the world. Everything we let in through our heart's, heart's gate affects who we are and what we do and what we will become. Everything we hear, everything we see, and even sometimes things that we touch or smell can have an influence. Perhaps it's time, though, to make some changes in our present lifestyle, and it starts right where we are in our home, where we bear and carry the image of God in an other way that we can give answers to questions like this sort of thing, why we don't do these things, or why we are somewhat different. All done under the sensitive guide of the Holy Spirit, let us pay attention to what we allow into our hearts and minds and spirits and invite him to deal with them. Musicians, please come and join me. <laughs> As I close, can I encourage all of us today in the area of carrying God in our homes and in our families, not, not to be too hard on ourselves because I said at the outset it isn't easy and we do make mistakes and I believe that today God isn't looking for people who have it all worked out or think that they have but he is searching for a people who will be willing to truly seek his grace and his help in these matters whoever they are wherever we go to bear his name well to create an atmosphere of human flourishing and where I, when what I said earlier, where the joy of the Lord is thick and where God's love is palpable and that he is represented well. Holy Spirit, today we ask you for your help. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz.